VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, good morning. No Patty this morning. It's Tim Powers sitting in for Patty. Uh, Patty will be back tomorrow, I believe. Um, just want you to know, got the call at 4 a.m. Lesson learned. Don't let your cat wake you up at 4 a.m. and then check your email. Because then you got to get ready. And I'm ready for today. Happy to be here. Lucky to have Dave Williams, of course, with me. Uh, Dave and I, a joke, will be calling a lot of audibles going a lot of different directions this morning. And that's good because I know that's what the listeners like here to talk about as much as we can on as many different subjects as we can here on VOCM's Open Line. Got to tell you, got to start with my friend Jerry Lynn. I was listening to Jerry Lynn and the uh, wonderful uh, story she played and did about aging out of trick-or-treating. Jerry Lynn, you don't age out of trick-or-treating. Yes, it'd be a bit creepy if somebody over the age of 15, well, over 20, showed up at your door knocking for candies. I agree with that, so I discourage that. If you're, say, 18, 19, 17, even 16, 15, don't put on a costume and knock at the doors, particularly in the center city of St. John's right now. They might think you're trying to commit a crime. But as it relates to trick-or-treating and Halloween, you got to have fun. In my front garden here in Ottawa, my son and I, we have like a blow-up coffin. We've got witches. We've got fake tombstones. We've gone mad. We love it. And our whole neighborhood is effectively the same way. People are just going bonkers decorating their front lawns and their houses and i think it's awesome i think it's just such a great thing to see people want to have fun and they want to be welcoming when i see a house that's decorated again i won't be dressing up but i will send my son forward and say henceforth young man go and get some candies and uh, normally he is is rewarded and it's fun so jerry lynn Yes, you shouldn't knock at the door, but you can still take part in Halloween. I love the clip you had of the uh, uh, the, the woman who was going to dress up, and then she was going to dance all night. She sounded, well, I don't want to be ageist, but let's say she sounded even older than me in May. Let me tell you, that's old. So God bless her for uh, for going out all night. My only Halloween um, not to do, don't knock on my door after 9.30. I want to be asleep. Yeah, I'm a curmudgeon that way, but uh, have fun on Halloween. Speaking of my young boy have to tell you such an awesome moment last week I, I tweeted about it we went out to an Ottawa Senators game and Josh, Nor- Josh Norris was still playing then it was before his injury and we got there a little early and my son and a lots of kids and teenagers everybody right down at the ice in the pregame warm-up because in the NHL any of those arenas they let you do that you go right on the glass and he had his nose on this the glass like a bunch of other kids did and he was lucky he was at the edge of the boards where photographers normally sit so you have that circle that's cut out in the glass that they remove and put back in accordingly the photographers that is and he stood there stood there was knocking at the glass like all the kids were and the then back up goalie magnus helber gave him a puck oh my you would swear it was christmas that puck has not left his hand it has been in his bed it has gone to school with him it goes in the car with 
Wisdom. What a highlight. What a wonderful thing. And, and Helberg gave um, another young boy, I think it was a puck after that, same sort of reaction. Uh, Claude Giroux now, uh, now with the sense threw a puck in the audience. So did Brady Kachuk. I like it was great. You know, hockey gets a bum rap sometimes, but to see all of that was fantastic. And because it's getting some attention, let's just say Josh Norris, uh, as Brian alluded to, of course, very well connected to Newfoundland. His father, Dwayne, uh, his uncle Ian, as Brian pointed out, are uh, well known in our province. Dwayne, of course, got that golden goal in 1990 to win the World Juniors for uh, for Canada. But you know you've permeated the city uh, and you're uh, a hockey player on the up and a hockey player who has a lot of respect when you see kids wearing your jersey. I was out with my son at a practice and there were two kids actually who had a Josh Norris number nine jersey on. So sad to see uh, that uh, he may be out for the season, uh, but uh, that's what happens in pro sports. I'm sure he will do his best to come back as soon as he can, as uh, as medical treatments allow. Uh, he's well liked in this community. He represents his father's home province well and his family very well. Uh, so we wish him a speedy recovery. And I got to say my last comment on, well, it's my second last comment on hockey. Uh, if you're in Ottawa and you can go to a game, go see them. They're an exciting young team. There's other Newfoundland connections there. There's um, Drake Batherson, who's got family in Port of Basque. Parker Kelly, who has, as I was told on this show, has some Newfoundland connections. Clark Bishop, who plays up and down with them. So lots of Newfoundland connections on the Ottawa Senators and their good young team. The only thing that sucks is going out to that arena in Canada. And the, sad, the last hockey comment I want to make, and maybe the only time I'll praise the Toronto Maple Leafs, what a great gesture to send uh, by Brendan Shanahan, the uh, team president, to send all of that kit to port basque I heard uh, Mayor Burroughs on before I, uh, uh, with Jerry Lynn as well. I saw and read some stories about uh, the packages that went there, and they also made a donation to the uh, Fiona Relief Fund. Well done, Leafs. You mightn't win on the ice, but you certainly win with Newfoundlanders and Labradorians with that gesture. That is well done. Now, when I was on with Jerry Lynn, talking a lot about Jerry Lynn today, you can't forget Jerry Lynn. She's a big presence in our in our VOCM world, and she's great at what she does. But when I was on with her on Monday, when I was in studio in St. John's doing our Ottawa report, we talked a little bit about the controversy around the Ode to Newfoundland and Memorial. Now, pulling it, shelving it, canceling it, I don't know precisely what they're doing from convocation ceremonies and the reaction to it. I can tell you from Newfoundlanders and Labradorians that live here in Ottawa that I've at least had contact with and uh, another Newfoundlander I was talking to in California this week, like people are aghast that this has happened. They understand that perhaps the ode needs some language modernizations. Nobody is, is saying it, it doesn't. They understand that perhaps lines about Labrador and, and the recognition of our indigenous history should be there. They get that. But they think it's a radical move to pull it from the convocation ceremony. Uh, and it sort of betrays the university's understanding of how that anthem, and Bob Wakem has written about this in the telegram, connects to the history of the university. I, look, I, I work with Memorial University. I have a lot of respect for Dr. Timmons. Uh, I know she's not afraid to make tough decisions, and this was certainly one of them. But I 
don't know that I'm comfortable with this decision either. I, I said to Jerry Lynn on that day uh, that it was only the week before that I had been home for the funeral of my cousin and friend, John Perlin, well known in Newfoundland, as we all know, for being a patriot, for standing up for the province, for putting the province forward on the global stage. And what was the last bit of music at his funeral? The Ode to Newfoundland. Uh, I think Memorial's gone too far here and needs to think about what it's done. Uh, I think, though, yes, we can update the language and maybe this debate is helpful and maybe that's the purpose of doing all of this. But uh, I remember graduating from Memorial and singing that ode to Newfoundland and boy, did I ever have a big lump in my throat and pride popping out of my chest because... I knew the history. I knew the connection. And every time I hear the Ode to Newfoundland, it just resonates with me. And as I said to Jerry Lynn the other day, uh, as you know, a lot of my family has a lot of history in Labrador. My dad worked in Goose Bay for years. I've been involved in different projects in Labrador. Love Labrador. Love Labradorians. Never had a Labradorian say to me, and maybe they think it, but they certainly not said to me, they're offended by the Ode to Newfoundland. Um, so again, I, I hope this gets reconsidered. Uh, I hope people take a deep breath and think about what is trying to be achieved here that ode to newfoundland is so important to us nobody is saying it has to stay absolutely as it is so let's find a way to solve this because i think when newfoundland's and labrador's only degree granting institution doesn't want to sing that anthem for reasons that they've articulated and they can defend it's still problematic let's fix this problem Speaking of problems, well, if you got a variable mortgage, guess what? Your interest rate's gone up on that. That's no surprise. The Bank of Canada raised interest rates yesterday. You heard Dan McTague on with Jerry Lynn. Some gas hikes as well, though. Propane is down for those of you who know home he who use it as a home heating tool. Um, that is some good news, but boy, it's still expensive out there. It's hard. It's tough. Um, lots of fighting here in Ottawa over what needs to be done. So much of it just political theatrics on VOCM. Uh, and this has been a controversy this week. You've heard the conservative ads that Pierre Polyev was running about their motion, the conservative party's motion to um, put a pause on carbon uh, pricing or carbon taxes, he calls it. And they brought that motion forward. It was defeated. Ken McDonald, the liberal MP from Avalon, stood with the conservatives on that. It's not just conservatives that have argued that that's a way forward. Maybe that's a solution. Maybe it's not. But it just seems at the political level here anyway, and I know there's certainly some debate in Newfoundland uh, as well about more gimmicky than real in terms of some of the quick stuff that's being done, whether it's a $500 check in Newfoundland and Labrador or it's um, a GST, a doubling of the GST rebate that's, that's coming from Ottawa. Yes, that will make a difference to some people, but there's also inequity in all of that. You want to talk about that and how you're feeling? Please give me a call. I really want to talk about this because I think we need to. I think we're in, we're in a time when it'd be nice to move beyond the politics and get to the policies. And we have some pretty good conversations here, I find, on VOCM's Open Line about these sorts of things. Speaking of crime, I was fascinated. Well, I didn't mention crime, but we're going to speak about crime now. So that's what I mean when I say speaking of crime. Uh, I was fascinated to listen to 
the uh, the tape that was played on the morning show this morning about the meeting in St. John's last night in the center of the city where residents are legitimately concerned about uh, crime there. And Mayor O'Leary was on talking about her perspective and things that were being done and could be done, talking about how policing works. There's discussion of a neighborhood watch. Um, I, I certainly hear more and see more uh, that provides some anecdotal evidence anyway that crime is on the rise. We have an elderly population uh, that is aging rapidly. And if you're older, uh, it can be more concerning, not that you're better or free of crime um, and its impacts when you're younger, but I think you have a different view of it all. I was listening to one gentleman that was interviewed there talking about how you know he's got some kids upstairs and people breaking in and how can he protect them. I mean, this is real stuff. I want to get at how real this problem is in the city and elsewhere in the province. I'd love to have some callers on this today to get into this. I Look, I, we're, my mom's home is in the east end of St. John's, and many of you know I stay there when I come home. Uh, it's not uncommon for her to have her cars rifled through. In fact, she takes the approach now, and this is not an invitation, criminals, because there's nothing in those cars, but she leaves the doors open so that they just go in, rifle through, and they're, they're gone again. That, that happens a lot. We've been led to believe that uh, that is part and parcel of people looking for, you know, nickels, dimes, dollars uh, to feed some of the addictions challenges they have, but that's still unsettling. We have, we have iron bars at our house in St. John's because we had had break-ins in the past. Now, to the best of my knowledge, we haven't had any in a while but so i can tell you from a first-hand or i guess second-hand experience in that case it's real and i'm not sure we know as i say the depth of it and what is being done to keep us safe i have a great regard for all the rnc i'm sure they do the best that they can are they under resourced are they properly resourced to deal with all of this what is it they need to deal with certainly across the country there's a great debate about the need to diversify how we police particularly with mental health and addictions challenges that uh, pervade our communities but you got an opinion on this give me a call love 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 to hear how you are feeling and what your take is on all of this and, and what works. Neighborhood watches are great, but we don't want to turn neighborhood watches into some kind of vigilante service. Not that that is what is being suggested would happen, but I think, again, it ultimately comes down to having the resources to be able to uh, manage uh, crime and the incidence of crime. Uh, three other quick things I want to mention because we're right up at it here. Uh, big nurses rally yesterday. Lots of coverage here. Love to have any nurses on this program today. I think you've got a case to make about uh, the challenges that you're having and uh, and the, the compensation that you're getting and the, the services that you do. I said before about a two months ago when I was here, saw firsthand how good nurses are in Newfoundland and Labrador when they were giving some care to our family. Love to talk about that. You want to talk about immigration. This is good news. Um, there's some data out that shows that immigration in Atlantic Canada has tripled since 2006, um, and that Newfoundland and Labrador is doing very well in that regard. Look, uh, we need more people in our province. We need more people in our country, and the fact that they're now willing to come uh, 
in greater number is a positive, positive sign. I know this is something I've talked to Jerry Byrne about. Our government has been very aggressive, and I think smartly so, in going to the Ukraine to bring people over and have them settle. We have to do more of that. We need more people, not less people, because more people will generate opportunity, provide people who can work in service industries and all manner of forms of work that can help us. So let's talk about that. Last thing before I go to break. You know, let's pile on the love for Mary Browns. I have to say it is so funny and impressive as somebody who works in communications and marketing. When you land at St. John's or Torbay and you come up the stair, the bridge, uh, the air stairway, and you see all the Mary Browns ads, sometimes I feel like I'm coming into the land of big Marys and taters, not just Newfoundland and Labrador. Like they're in your, in your face. And as somebody, as I said, who comes from that industry, I appreciate that marketing. But they back it up. They back it up with philanthropy and the fact that they're donating uh, 50% of what they make in sales on Sunday uh, to the uh, We Stand on Guard Again Hurricane Fiona Relief Fund is uh, it's just incredible. I know they helped out in Port of Basque. I know they've helped out elsewhere. Good on you, Mary Browns. Good on you, Greg Roberts. Um, the importance of corporate philanthropy and giving back, particularly when you have the, the means to do so, is important. Now, time for our first break here on Open Line. You've heard the menu. It's like Mary Brown's. You can get taters. You can get big Marys. You can get legs. You can get thighs. You get it all here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with more of your calls shortly. Welcome back to Open Line. Tim Powers in here for uh, Patty today. Just before I talk to my friend Doug Moore's on line one, a reminder, you can get us open line at VOCM.com or you can get me on Twitter at PowerSim. Some good tweets that I'll address after we've had a few conversations. And let me go to my friend Doug Moore's. And Doug, you sent me a lovely note when John Perlin died. Thank you. But this morning you want to talk about the Ode to Newfoundland, I gather. Uh, sure. Thank you. I heard your uh, I heard your opening uh, remarks this morning, and uh, ever since this process started, I've been uh, you know uh, I'm completely uh, very upset by this whole concept. And 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 talking to my friends, I mean and many friends I have around the province and elsewhere, uh, and nobody can believe this that this is really taking place that this has actually gone ahead. And I think there's a couple of things so I'd like just to make a comment on. Yeah, go ahead. First of, all, first of all, it's process. The whole thing, it's all a matter of process. I don't know who made the decision. It appears that the decision was made by the president and seven vice presidents. That, that's what the – yeah, it just, just to stop you there because that's important context and we'll keep going. That, that's what we've been told. I, I understand that too, Doug. So, yeah, working with that same bit of information, go ahead. Well, that's right. Thank you very much. So that that you know, and I don't know and what kind of uh, you know information that these people gathered before he went ahead and did this uh, took this particular action, which is fundamental to all all that all of us. Like you talked about in your in your intro. I mean, every time I hear the old Newfoundland anywhere, I stand up yeah. with all my friends. Everybody's in the building, stands up and loudly with gusto, out of tune sometimes, but with great gusto, sing the old Newfoundland. You know, uh, so we've had we got the history of this back to 1902 when when this was written long before there was a Memorial University or even a University College. Labrador in those days was part of Newfoundland. But anyway, that's beside the point. The bottom line is here that um, th- this was this should be reversed at the moment. If the university, if the president and the vice presidents had any sense with respect to this, they would say, listen, we need to pause on this. We're going to leave the status quo and we're going to find out. We're going to we're going to study this with respect to what people read 
you want here. Nobody minds having the word Labrador mentioned in the Ode to Newfoundland. I mean, Newfoundland is only mentioned twice at the end. We love God guard thee, Newfoundland. We can say God guard thee, Newfoundland and Labrador. That fixes all this, right? Well, uh, and, you know, just, just further to the context. So yeah. um, you mentioned the various um, uh, military connections there. So I, I think you know this here in Ottawa. Now it's been since 2006, I think it's been on Canada Day, which of course yep. is the day we commemorate Beaumont Hamill in, uh, in in Newfoundland and across the country. But at the Cenotaph here, so the big National War Memorial, hundreds of people gather and sing the Ode to Newfoundland uh, at Vimy Ridge, uh, at, at the battle sites in in France. Whenever there's been a ceremony, they sing the Ode to Newfoundland. And again, nobody that I'm aware of has expressed broad public condemnation or frustration with it. I'm okay, as I'm sure you are, with changing a few words if people are feeling excluded. But anyway, you go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly right. This whole thing was just a ham-handed process here. It, it's a PR disaster as far as Memorial is concerned. You know, I went to Memorial, graduated. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. So did you. Played with the Beatics, wore the Beatics on my hockey jersey, won championships, raised money. We've done all this. All my friends, my colleagues, my buddies all over Newfoundland and around the world. And now they get smacked in the face by this, by, by seven or eight people who sit down and decide that we're going to change the course of who we are in Newfoundland. It's not acceptable. It's not and if we keep, if they don't get off their high horse and deal with this, I guarantee you that the donations to the university are going to certainly go down. People are going to say, "What are we? What are they doing here in Newfoundland? What kind of a crowd are they?" So, as far as I'm concerned, look, VOCM did a straw poll. Ninety ten are against this. NTV did a straw poll. I know it's not scientific, but ninety seven percent of the people said no. I mean, what more do they want? You know what I mean? Yeah. One last thing before I let you go, because I want to get the next caller on. So I was okay when the university changed the name of the team from Beathics to Seahawks. I think that was fair, and that okay. was that that was okay, and that was well explained as I recall at the time. And you know, you've seen this happen all across sports, and that's okay. It's nobody is saying we're afraid to uh, evolve and respect people's rights, and we should we should do all of those things. But yeah, I, I agree with you. This whole process is strange to me. Yeah, yeah, beyond. And, of course, just quickly, one more point. The Board of Regents are there. These people are elected and appointed. I mean, I think these Board of Regents should weigh in here and, and, and deal with this particular issue. You know, there got to be some oversight as far as I'm concerned. I know there's corporate governance and that, but at the end of the day, the Board of Regents are wearing this. And I call upon my friends at the Board of Regents to, you know, to deal with this. And one other point before I go. Yep. Just a, a big shout-out uh, to uh, Greg Robertson at the Mary Brown yeah. team. The Mary Brown people, fantastic. And, uh, you know, that just goes to show the new Brazil, well, Newfoundlanders are all about you know we support her you know come on and don't do things to us that are take take away from who we are that's all i'm saying all right good to talk to you dougie take care my friend god bless Tim. best good work buddy thank you all right that was uh doug moore's on the ode to newfoundland you certainly got where doug stood uh stands on that now uh bruno you're on line two how are you this morning bruno not too bad how are you today I am all right. You want to talk about um, the proposed hydrogen project in the down Stephenville way, I gather, do you? Yes, and I'd like to touch on Bay de Nord as well. Sure, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, uh, let's start with uh, the hydrogen project. Uh, it, uh, you know, it says before it proceeds, it'll have mm-hmm. to undergo an environmental assessment as well as the government bid process for the wind energy seats for projects seeking crown lands. And I'm fury said that he's fortunate to have friends like Risley, adding that they 
did not discuss his business interests or any other government affairs during the trip. Fury told reporters that what he does with his money and free time is his business and that there's an ethical wall between him and Risley's energy interests since another minister is handling that portfolio. So him and Risley didn't talk about this at all. And this is likely to get me thrown off your program for using exactly the same language that I hear oh, about three times a week from Bill Barr in the States. And I don't know why you... Uh, you, you haven't said anything yet to, to, for me to throw you off. You've been well-behaved. I, I would just say this. Look, in this day and age, the hang on, please. The perception of it has created, obviously, a problem for the premier and uh, and the government. The reality, look, I, I people know. I know the premier. I know his family well. I know them to be ethical people, people of integrity. I also understand the point uh, that he's making that... That, you know, you can have friendships and govern them accordingly. Um, I get all that, and I, I believe him when he says that, but I also understand how the perception creates a problem for people, and people well, will read things into that perception. Anyway, go ahead. Now I'm going to have to use scatological language to <laughs> thrown off the air. No, no, come on, Bruno, you're doing so well. You're doing so well. Don't, don't, go, why, go ahead. Why can't I use the same language that Bill Barr does? Well, I haven't heard Bill Barr speak on this program. I just don't like four-letter words. That's all. We're a family show. All right. Well, I'll get some toilet paper and wipe my my butt then. How's that? That's better. That's creative. uh, I don't believe a word that you're saying, and I don't think anybody in their right mind believes that they went on the trip and didn't discuss this thing. Uh, And I want to talk about the environmental assessment that hasn't been gone through and that not only is uh, this area – uh, up for grabs, but several other areas being given away of a prime uh, provincial government land. Sure, there was. Uh, this is a deal that was cut in the back room with Risley before any environmental. He, with their well, friends. look I, again. I get the perception. Hang on. Ha- oh, Bruno, Bruno, Bruno. We're going to break up if you don't listen for a second. Hang on. Look, I, you, you're entitled to say that's your perception, but you don't know that's a fact. I'm not defending anything. How you were there? You were there. No, I don't have to be there to to know logic. Oh, come on, Bruno. This is where you come on, Bruno. This is logic. Is what you are making it, interpreting it to be. I I I fully acknowledge, Bruno. Fully acknowledge the perception of it creates a problem. No doubt about that. I'm in absolute agreement with you on that. However, don't speak to things that you don't know didn't happen. That diminishes your credibility. Reality. I put my reality. I put my credibility on the line. I've been doing it ever since I. But you were there. You were in Labrador with them, so you can say with certainty. You know, of course I can say with certainty that. No, you can't. You weren't there. You weren't there. Of course it was. Anyone in the right mind that looks at the facts. As Bruno, you people interpret, interpret facts differently. Again, I will say totally get the perception, totally get the cynicism. Those are legitimate. But you weren't there. So don't say that you were and that's what happened. Well, using that lack of logic allows the type <laughs> of corruption and nonsense that led oh. us to the insiders 
uh, ruining your province with muskrat falls, and now they're giving away the province for nothing to Risley, another robber baron that showed up. In- uh, now you got to watch it. Like you, you, you can I absolutely have an opinion on John, but we don't want you to get sued. I'll give you one more minute because then I got to go to break. Go ahead. You got a minute. Oh. You don't like me calling him a robber baron? I, I just think you got to be careful of people's language, Bruno. I don't want you to get sued. You know, if you get sued, no no skin on oh, my back, uh, but I'm sure. <laughs> I'm willing to. Uh, <laughs> I know you are. Anyway, one minute, quick, tight, go. <laughs> I'm going to talk about uh, the hundreds of millions of dollars that are at stake with the offshore oil project uh, that uh, the traitorous environment minister uh, has uh, rubber stamped. Uh, Now, uh, because it's outside of 200 miles, uh, the United Nations uh, Conference on the Law of the Sea says that royalties have to be paid to uh, underdeveloped countries. Uh, So now Ottawa and the province have the responsibility to cough up Mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars. And, of course, Newfoundland suddenly is saying it's Ottawa's responsibility, not ours, to cough up that money. They want the Atlantic Accord to give them their money, but they want to bugger off when it comes to coughing up the money that they owe the rest of the world. Why is that? That I don't know. I've heard some some uh, some uh, challenge around that before. That 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 one we can agree and look into. All right, I gotta leave it there. Pre- I, you know what, Bruno? I always enjoy when you call and thank you for not saying a four letter word. We've we've achieved common ground today. You're always welcome to call. Take care, Bruno. I didn't use a four letter word. I said bull crap. Well, okay, but that's a nice four letter word. Take care, take care, buddy. Goodbye. All right. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with more of your calls after this. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back, Tim Powers, in for Patty. Just had my regular run around with Bruno. Look, I love, actually love when Bruno calls. I know he can irritate a lot of callers, but he he leads with passion. Uh, and apparently, I'm clueless. But you probably all think that anyway. I'll I'll work on getting a few clues in. Now, speaking of clues, we're going to talk to the chair of the uh, Canadian Federation of Students, Gayathri Murugan, uh, is on the line. How are you this morning? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you? How are you doing? I'm okay. I hope I pronounced your name right. I'm sorry if I didn't, yep. but uh, welcome to the show. Now it's a national. It's National Day of Action today, is it? Provincial Day of Action on okay. November the second. Okay. So tell us about it, please. Okay, so students all across the province are going all out to demand accessible education for all students of all communities and all backgrounds on November the 2nd. Um, so in St. John's, there's going to be a rally from the Mun Clock Tower building, marching to the Confederation building. Um, and in Cornerbrook, students are going to go from the Granville campus to the Sir Richard, Richard Squires building. Um, I believe this is important and it it affects everybody because an educated society is beneficial to the growth and development of society and for boosting the economy, which the university and colleges have been doing here in Newfoundland and Labrador for the past several, several decades. 
Yeah, yeah, um, indeed. Can I just, so just so the the listeners understand, what are sort of the key areas where you want to see action? I I, I know tuition has been a, an irritant for some uh, or for many. I know uh, reading stories this morning that even access to housing and food are now big issues. So can you tell us what are the the, the areas of of main concern right now that you'll be focusing on on that day of action? Um, tuition is the big one, but also how other factors affect um, not being able to afford the tuition, like uh, housing, like you just mentioned, housing insecurity, food insecurity, um, cost of living going up, gas prices going up. Everything all together makes this such an unsustainable future for everybody in this province. And that's not good for anybody. So in terms of, of tuition, let's start there. What, what would you like to see happen with tuition rates? Um, I would love to see a reversal of the tuition thaw because a lot of people in this province um, benefited from the tuition freeze for years and years. And now their children, their grandchildren won't be able to do, do the same. They won't be able to access post-secondary education um, because it's not affordable for them anymore. Has has not, uh, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding was as it related to the tuition increase, though, there's been a commensurate increase in grants and other vehicles of funding that have been made available. Is that not your experience or that simply is not enough? It needs to go back rather than up. Well, see, the, the grants and things that are currently being offered to offset this Mm-hmm. is not available to international students. So this is only for Canadian students, especially where international students from this year onwards, mm-hmm. at least at month, are paying $2,000 per course. $2,000 per course mm-hmm. compared to Canadian students paying $600 a course. Just for context, what were the, the previous rates? Because I think it's important. Those, those I'm not dismissing the fact that they are expensive but what were the previous rates before tuition went up for international students and canadian students so um up till last year we yeah. had about 255 dollars per um course for newfoundland labrador students okay um around 400 or 500 for other canadian province okay. students and um $1,186 per course for international students. Now, I will I will point out, however, that the 1186 that only went up in 2018. Until 2017, okay. that was around 800-something for international students. So in just about five years, you're seeing a more than doubling in tuition. Uh, well, th- that's a big hit. Uh, absolutely. Um, tell me about the, the, the insecurity, the other insecurity issues, housing and, uh, and food. Um, I, I know certainly when the semester began and through the summer, a lot of discussion about the need for more housing. What would you like to see happen, particularly as it relates to Memorial and what they should do for housing for students? Well, um, well, seeing as this, this day of action is not just for Memorial. I know. I appreciate it's for, for, yeah. for everybody. But all right. Well, spread it around as best you can then in your response. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
so um, it would be great to see a lot more available housing because I know where um, the colleges have like 17 campuses spread out throughout the province, especially in the smaller areas of the province. Um, when and if students want to attend those colleges, college campuses, and if they want to move out of their communities, um, they don't really have places to go because there's no availability for rental units. Or if there are rental units available, it's just not affordable at all. So um, something like a rent control program, um, ensuring that people have access to housing, maybe building more housing units, that would be great. And if people want to lend their support to you, how can they do that on your day of action? Okay, well, other than coming out to the rallies themselves, they can also share all the information that we have on our social media, which okay. is the Canadian Federation of Students, Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, you can also just talk to people and let them know, spread the word, let them know that we are fighting for accessible education for all, because this is something that is going to affect generations to come, and it's a very short-sighted decision. Um, okay. And another way that you can show solidarity is to con just just like contact me and like let me know if you want to be involved. Um, I'll, I'll give you my uh, email, which would be chair at cfs-nl.ca. Okay. All right. Well, you've done that, uh, Gaia 3. Thank you for your time today. Good luck on your uh, day of action. Uh, we will be watching and covering it here at VOCM. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. November the 2nd. November the 2nd, uh, Canadian Federation of Students, Newfoundland, Day of Action. Thank you. All right. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. When we come back, we've got Alistair and Dave in the queue. Back with them shortly. Welcome back to Open Line. We're humming along this morning. Lots of great calls. Going to go to Alistair now. Alistair, you wanted to talk about something uh, Doug Morris was talking about, the Ode to Newfoundland. What's on your mind? Uh, good morning, Tim. Morning. Yes, I'm calling to uh, support Doug and what he had to say there. Now, I'm not going to elaborate on the ode because I think Doug did a perfect job and he said it all. But, uh, uh, Tim, uh, I'm 81 years old. Okay. And I don't think I ever had a kick in the rear mm -hmm. so severe as when I heard that Mun was scrapping the ode. I think it's outrageous. I think Memorial University owes an apology to the people of Newfoundland, especially for those of us born before 1949. Mm -hmm. It is the most ridiculous thing. And I just can't see they saying they had a committee of seven and they were unanimous in the vote to scrap it. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. There might have been seven people there, but there wasn't too many there with anything separating their two ears. Yeah. Alistair, same question I asked Doug, and I, I think I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. I shouldn't presume that I do. I mean, would you be okay if there were some changes in the old referencing of Labrador and uh, aspects of our indigenous history? Would you be no, all right? No, no, okay. no. Leave it. Leave it. What have we got to change everything for? We're changing the name of the lakes. We're tearing down monuments. We're on our knees apologizing to everybody 
leave things as it is. And, yes, the president of the Memorial University should apologize. I, I, I just push back a little bit. I and I fully. Uh, my mother has a very similar view to your yours. She's uh, the same age as uh, as you are in the same age bracket. I'll get in trouble if I say precisely how old she is. So I don't want to have the old plate at my funeral because I got that wrong this morning. But um, I, I, I'm. I, I think the decision is not the right decision. But I, I'm a little bit different. I do support some language changes. I think our history evolves. But I, I, I'm with you when it comes to just the hard stop on it all and not knowing and I think everybody I've talked to who's spoken about this as as I can hear in your voice is that we have a really deep emotional attachment to the Ode to Newfoundland right? I mean that, that seems obvious That's definitely right Tim and include the Labrador uh, Ode if you want to. Want to yeah there is but one for Labrador that is true. the Newfoundland Ode if okay. it, it, it's it's going down a dirty path, Tim. It shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. This is outrageous. You, you, you can never believe how upset I am. I, I was talking, Alistair, to somebody who's, uh, who's a little younger than you are in California who went to Memorial, what was it, two days ago, and he was shared a very similar feeling, apoplectic. Everybody who I have talked to about this, nobody supports the outright uh, ban or refusal to sing or cancellation, suspension, whatever it is, and people are just taken aback by it. So I appreciate you calling and sharing your thoughts. Is there anything else you'd like to offer before I let you go? Yes, I would, uh, Tim. I've got a granddaughter now. Yeah. And she's attending Memorial University. Mm-hmm. And like all grandparents, you know, there's a scattered dollar might tremble down, <laughs> down that, that, that way. We love our grandparents. And for I that. would like to send her enough money now <laughs> to take her out of that university and maybe even take her out of this province. And send her to universities somewhere else. And, Tim, it's time for people, especially people here in Newfoundland, to get out this old quote, and I know you've heard it many times, Mm -hmm. evil triumphs when good people say nothing. And even to all those seniors out there, you might be senior, and and maybe the university considers us senile and so on. But it's time for you to stand up and voice this. This is enough. They took away and took away, and now take away the hold. I think it's outrageous. All right. I'll leave it there. Very well said, Alistair. Thank you for your time. And thank you, Tim. Bye. Oh, take care. Uh, very strong reaction to the old. Uh, and I respect Alistair's opinion. I, I, I do want to just parse that quote a little bit. That That's a very potent quote. Um, I don't think this was evil um i there's lots of things you can call this decision i don't think it was evil it may have been ill-considered it may have been uh done in haste but evil in my view it was not but alistair most certainly entitled to his view all right as is the next man uh, always love having him on dave callahan how are you doing my friend good morning tim good morning to you you want to talk about our buddy bruno do you yeah he kind of prompted uh some thought on the topic, uh, I guess, that's been near and dear to a lot of hearts here recently regarding the uh, proposed wind project for Port-of-Port. Mm-hmm. 
and of course the uh, the meeting that was supposed to have taken place in Labrador. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the time when this proposal come about, it was because Mr. Risley and Mr. Sean Leet were smart enough and early enough to be in on looking forward towards hydrogen production right. at a time when nobody else was. Mm-hmm. What, what's been left out of this discussion is that when they were pursuing this, and, and, and if me and Tim were doing the same thing, if we were going to propose a project that was new, kind of state-of-the-art, something that was cutting and not done, we'd kind of keep our cards close to our chest for the first while. Standard business practice, yep. Exactly. That's how business works. And the the idea of transparency between a private company doing anything with government, the transparency should only come after the fact, not before the deal is cut, not before any situation takes place, because it might never. At that time, it's exploratory. So leading up to these meetings, I'm sure there were a couple of meetings that took place at government level in government offices with government officials around. And it would have had to be, because before anything like this could proceed in this province, they had to overcome a a pitfall, which was definitely there for them. We had a moratorium on the use of windmills and electrical uh, electricity production in Newfoundland. It never made any sense in the first place, except it was probably put in place to protect Nalcor yep. investments in our own yep. hydroelectric situation here in the province. Also, so a Mr. standard practice, Dave. If you have to, you know, again, yes. you, you and I both know that, but continue. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you. But Mr. Risley and Mr. Sean Lee, being smart, being early, went in with a project that basically did not pose any real threat to the to the grid to the production of electricity in Newfoundland because it wasn't intended for that purpose. The reason that the moratorium on this got lifted subsequently afterwards, and if somebody looks at it chronologically, they can make it look like an ugly story. There was no stimulus or catalyst to promote getting rid of the moratorium until they had been approached for a reason to do so, which is what Mr. Risley and Mr. Lee did. Yep. So they go in first, and at that time, it's not like this meeting took place in Labrador under cloak and dagger secrecy. <laughs> you can't and do that, anything in Labrador and cloak and dagger. Look, I've been up there fishing. I've gone up with other – lots of people go up there fishing. We're all fortunate to do that. But when you're up there, everybody knows you're there anyway. Yes. And what could they do with a meeting with a bunch of people discussing it? Maybe the premier was trying to get himself a level of comfort with Mr. Risley, relationship building, to see what was the proposal. These things aren't exactly jokes. When you're talking the amount of money that's involved in a project such as this, then naturally you've got to kind of understand the parameters. Nothing could have came out of that Labrador trip that would have been solid, that would not have had to pass through the House, pass through the regulatory process anyway. Well, and I can tell you this as somebody who's worked in government relations and lobbying. Look, just because you may have a conversation with an elected official doesn't mean anything is going to happen. There is a labyrinth of 
processes as you rightly should have to go through to get things done. It's not like Correct. it was, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago when maybe you could call an elected official and something would get fixed. The reason we have a civil service and the infrastructure is to make sure that things get done properly. They get it vetted properly. You know, you don't just walk in and sign a contract and it's done. I mean, I know people think that's what happens, but I can assure you it is not what happens. Yeah. And as far as the actual question is, how how much did you discuss or did you discuss this during this trip? They might have had some small talk about it, but I'm sure that what they meant was that there was nothing official suggested or, or, or proposed on that trip. It couldn't be. It would have to pass through too many other hands. Too many layers. The fact of the matter is, if you were John Risley, or I, if I was John Risley, and I had this beautiful camp in Labrador, and I had the ability to use it, and say, let's say I was going there for the weekend anyway, and told the premier and his father, say, look, you want a chance to come up and catch a deadly salmon and have a have a great weekend? And, we, you know, come on. It was a gesture leading up to something that basically became to me, an opportunity. And where we see ourselves right now, like it wasn't very long after Mr. Risley and Mr. Leet and World Energy come forward with their proposal that they come from all around the world, they come from everywhere, because they were chasing the same opportunity, which is where eventually hydrogen is going to see itself in our world. I don't see it being the be-all and end-all. Certainly electric cars are not the be-all and end-all of it all. Nothing's the be-all and end-all. The thing it is is nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, Dave, to cut you off there. Anyway, I got to go to news. Appreciate your perspective. I, I will reiterate what I said to Bruno, though, and you may or may not agree with this, but I get why the perception is a problem, and I get why it's getting people irritated, and that that's politics and that's fair and we should discuss it but we shouldn't always assume the perception is the reality but the danger is in politics it often is seen to be all right dave thanks buddy talk to you later you take care thanks tim okay um uh, pam you're next we're gonna go to the news first i got pam pars pam party excuse me after the news time for the news here on vocm's open line join us for on target one hour in which linda swain examines topics that mean the most to you on target weekday afternoons at one on your vocm Welcome back to Open Line. Tim Powers in for Patty. Today, going to go to uh, the lines and talk to Pam Party, who has been kindly waiting. Pam, you're one of the uh, organizers of We Stand on Guard Again. What can you update us on now? There's so much good news coming out of this. I can't imagine what the actual event's going to be like. Well, thank you for taking the call, Tim. It's a real honor to be on with you today. And, of course, the committee, I'm a co-chair along with uh, Seamus O'Keefe. Yep, Seamus Goodfellow. Oh, an amazing uh, fellow, and he's always out to help for a good cause. And, of course, when we got together about a month ago, we never dreamt that Mm -hmm. the show would be days away. And while we knew Newfoundlanders and Labradorians always get on board and help one another, I mean, whether it's, you know, tsunami efforts helping those away, we were nice for that, or Igor. I mean, I'm sure you remember all that. Oh, oh God, yes. With Shani Ganuk was involved with that as well. For the first, we stand on guard, which is why this is... We stand on guard again. But looking back, the, whether it's Canada, AV, and, and and Andrew, who owns that company, helping out, or it's the artists themselves who are donating their time, the City of St. John's, Mary Brown Center, and everything that Mary Brown itself is doing, you That's had it amazing. yourself announced today, 
Um, it's just incredible. We keep saying it's about the cards and not the applause, but I'm just so incredibly moved. We had a meeting yesterday and the funds that we're raising and the announcements we're going to be able to make from every single dollar small you know the small donations to the large corporate donations mm-hmm. we're just so incredibly grateful uh for this and uh wanted to get on of course to thank people who have been donating to encourage people to keep donating there's still a few tickets available and we're hoping that you know don't forget you know no yep. jigs dinner this sunday it's mary <laughs> brown well there's a not a judgment here there's enough salt in both of those meals everybody will be fine <laughs> tell me because i haven't heard this aspect of it pam but anybody coming in from burnt islands and port of basque for this where the where the will there will there be some actual people who have suffered firsthand able to come in and have a night off and enjoy the concert well the mayor is coming in for sure oh, awesome okay uh, brian button he's coming in and he's going to be joining us on stage of course and and uh um, and of course, I mean, we all know, or I, I'm not sure if we all know the names, but I mean, the names are out there. It's Crystal yeah. Collier and Jocelyn Gillum. I don't know if you remember, Crystal was one of the, the, the I'm going to call her the White Claw Lady. Does that make sense? White that Claw. I've got a few White Claw in the fridge here, but I can tell the audience I'm not drinking them at this hour of the day. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, well she, she was the one. Her, her home, her garage was washed away. She had been planning on enjoying, you know, like Newfoundlanders do, go out and get your storm ships and your little bit of booze and sit back and and enjoy a storm because we're so hardy. We're used yeah. to these things, you know, hurricanes. Except when your house goes out in the ocean, then it has a whole other dimension, but yeah. And, and you know what? And she, just to tell you the resilience of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, when she washed, she watched her, she had evacuated her home. She watched her garage wash away. And, and in that garage was her fridge Jeez. with the white cloth. The next morning, when they came back to evaluate the, damage, I don't mean to laugh, but it's so know, it's, it's an interesting dimension to the story, right? And she went out. She saw this little white box as she's standing in her neighbor's yard and looking at like all these houses. She like cardboard boxes are piled onto one another. She sees this little white box. She crawls over. She sees it's her white claw, and she holds them up. And um, NTV's uh, uh, Gang Cleary was there and snapped yeah. a picture. And it just went, you know, like oh, Newfoundlanders man. resilient. Celebrate that you saved your white claw. You know, I, I, I think I would have funneled. Uh, people of a certain generation will know this reference. I would have funneled all the white claw just to cope what was going on afterwards. Anyway, Pam, I gotta leave it there. But if if you want to get last minute tickets, how do you do it? You go visit our um, uh, WSOG, we stand on guard.ca. Up in the top right hand corner, there's a little drop, ba- drop box. You can donate now. You can buy tickets right on our website. Mary Brown Center, Sunday, televised. Thank you, VOCM. You guys are going to be having it on air. It, it, the communication and the collaboration with all the media outlets, Coast 101.1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people have been excellent. Oh, everybody. VOCM, you can listen live. NTV, you can watch live. CBC, you can watch live. So pick up your Mary Browns, watch it at home, or get your Mary Browns down at the Mary Brown Center for the show. Thank you to all the community partners. Thanks for everyone who's donated for every dollar and the ones to come. We really appreciate it, and we hope to see you there. All right. We'll uh, leave it there. Thank you, Pam. Good luck on Sunday. Thanks so much.
All right. Now, he's been waiting, and this man is busy. I know what I, I have a, an investment in a bakery, actually, here in Ottawa, so I know what it is to be an owner of a bakery. Uh, not the way he does, but I have Kevin Massey on the line. Kevin, how are you, owner of the old Dublin Bakery? How's it going, Tim? Thanks for having me on. You, well, you've probably been at work since 4 a.m. anyway, right? Or maybe uh, three. Well, it's five, but that's it. <laughs> yeah. People don't appreciate all those fine baked goods you make. Oh, Just You do. didn't leave oh, them there overnight. Yeah. We, we definitely, they definitely appreciate them. We're only too happy to have the best <laughs> But anyway, enough about me. Just want to say a big thanks to uh, VOCM and the other media outlets who have uh, helped us out so far. Um, we're... we're uh, well, I'm calling about the last night's meeting. The meeting, yeah. Um, the, the, the infamous meeting. Um, uh, you know, <clears throat> it was a great uh, publicity event for the deputy mayor and two MHAs. And, um, you know, basically we were given a presentation that you would give to a fifth or sixth grader class on how to do a neighborhood watch. It's like, I'll be honest, I mean, I get it as an attempt and it's public awareness and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, it's not a real, it's, 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 I felt pandered to, and I'm sure a lot of people did describing how you know, you know things. But you know, we did get the message <clears throat> they don't want vigilantes <clears throat> basically report the crimes that people already are doing. You know, we, I live in Rabbit Town area. I work, mm-hmm. I own the business in the Rabbit Town area, and you know, people look down on us because we're the center of the city. You know, sure we're one of the oldest places in town, but you know, we're one of the most diverse. Look around. All of our kids go to school with people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we have probably one of the most uh, mixes of old people still living in their homes yep. here. You know, we're all hardworking people. We uh, we want to be able to thrive just like everybody else. And, uh, you know, at the uh, meeting last night, um, Deputy Mayor basically told us that it's not their problem. They told us straight out. And I, I asked three times, and mm-hmm. Sheila even directed her... Uh, directed her stern voice right at me and I told her that it was not necessary that uh, you know they said it's not their problem that's that's the message that we got and uh, I'm here to say <clears throat> that it is the city's problem we live in the city we pay incredible taxes we pay a highest mill rate in business and uh, we don't get the services that we need like crime is 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 escalating with the, with everything pandemic you know Kevin just let me stop you there let me ask you a question there so give us like the difference between 10 years ago and now in terms of crime if you can so well, what you know what's I've been different 18 years I'm 18 okay. years here and it's it's only in the last well in the last four months I've had four different burglaries and really in, four months between wow. between between the house and the business I get to know the, the police officers by first name that's how bad it is. And the police officers are doing their best. They're underfunded and overworked. So everybody's blaming them, <clears throat> the RNC, but it isn't their fault. It's the city and the province's responsibility. The deputy mayor told us quite clearly that we, it's not their responsibility to deal with the police when we, as a neighborhood, feel that the city, just like Mount Pearl, should contribute and form a municipal police force. We don't have one. The city contributes no dollars to the police force. They talk about awareness and mental health and all, but that's off the topic. The topic is our homes are getting breaking into, broken into at night and our businesses are getting affected and the city are washing their hands. The, 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 as for the two MHAs that appeared last night, if you want a publicity stunt, they may as well stay home. Neither one of the MHAs actually opened them out. They didn't open them out. They sat down and they didn't open them out. Our own, um, the, car, the, the, the MHAs involved in the caucus of jurisdiction now didn't show up. Our, uh, <clears throat> our own ward councillor for the city didn't show up, refu- refused to come. And I have a, um, you know, I feel like we uh, voted in an untested uh, new candidate, maybe through diversity or something. But I will say that if you're not going to do your job, we don't want, we don't, we'll, we'll accept your resignation and it's on. You know, we, uh, we are, we are hardworking people and we're paying their wages. 
And they're not like this is one of the biggest concerns that the people have. Probably the biggest meeting that the people have had since this person has been in political power, and they don't attend the meetings. So you know. Yeah, I, uh, I, I get your frustration there. Listen, before I let you go and get back to work, because you know you've still got, got a lot of work to, to say. I got lots. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, and you're welcome to say it. I, I just have one very specific question. Sure. So when you the, those police officers you're getting to know by first name, who are coming and responding to your burglaries, what are they saying? they need to help need you manpower. our last okay. officer was a sergeant and he basically told us that this is not his job to be showing up but he feels bad he feels bad when he hears our name being called over the radio time and time again and he came in person and, and apologized and said you know this is generally not his job but he had there's nobody else to do it and then he had to leave the scene for a, another case you know like yeah. like the police is underfunded and that's the bottom line the city are getting raises they get pay raises every year or whatever it is they get their pensions they have a whole list of benefits and there are no qualifications to be a city councillor it's just a popularity contest that's, and we all know that so like it's like do the job or just can you resignation that's how I feel and I feel that a lot of the city and especially this part of town feels that way and you know the thing is Tim we get a bad rep because it's yeah. Rabbit Town it's, it's ra- it, Rabbit Town unfortunately has always had that rep and I think you're right I'm going to say this there's crime it's unfair. airport yeah, heights, oh God. There, you name it you can go on stolen Newfoundland groups and you'll see nothing but crime and the police force is is not able to keep up because yeah. there's no money going in. So what's happening is the crime is escalating with the police and up with it. So it's time for the province. Like like I asked the deputy minister, uh, the deputy, deputy mayor, to just uh, actually go <clears throat> to city hall and just discuss the topic of and and she blatantly refused. All she could say was it's not their issue, it's a provincial issue and none of the provincial ministers stood up to say anything about it. So okay. uh, that's how I feel I feel that if you're not going to just even try then just resign. Um, all right. Well, I appreciate your call, Kevin. Uh, clearly, it's extremely frustrating. If I was broken into four times over a four-month period, I will say one more thing, Tim. This is not yeah. over, by the way. Like we, like you know, we, like I don't have like apart from the thousands of dollars that I've had to put in to upgrade cameras and alarms and locks and all this. I've put thousands of dollars in. <clears throat> I've lost thousands of dollars in a motorbike equipment, power tools. I've lost thousands of dollars worth of stuff. I will say this isn't over. Like I feel that you know we will we as a community we're going to. It was great to see all the neighbors there last night, and I feel like we can work together to uh, change things. Like we can tell people like if you're coming here to cause crime, if you're walking in from some of the surrounding areas, like we don't want you here. We don't yeah. want you coming here and terrorizing our lives. Like it's a, it's a, you know a systematic problem. Like yeah. you know. Endemic drugs everywhere, but yeah, there's uh, there's a, a whole. I mean, <clears throat> Sheila wasn't wrong when she said there's you know a, a mental health and addictions challenge and all of that. But as you say, in the end, it the comes down. Health, to- the mental health victims can't come terrorize us either. I'm, I'm I believe in mental health issues too. I believe in, uh, in in helping these people, but they're not getting help. They're getting in no, the they're market, they're getting in front of the court and they're sent on the way, and then, and then they come back the next night. You know, it's yeah. just the way it all is. All right, Kevin, gotta leave it there, buddy. I'm sorry to cut you off. I I just I, I well, listen. I, I just, get your pest. Thanks, Tim. Last thing, like I said, you, I'm sure you'll hear from us again. All right. I, I hope we don't because I hope it gets solved, but no, I we, suspect uh, you're... I do too, but I don't think so. All right. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Kevin. Cheers. Take it easy. 
All right, time for a break here. And when we come back, Cyril Tobin will be joining us from the Newfoundland Housing and Homeless Network right after the break. Welcome back to Open Line. Just before I bring Cyril Tobin on from the Newfoundland and Labrador Housing and Homeless uh, Network, just give some context on this, and Cyril can uh, can add uh, more to it, uh, as he knows it far better than I. But, of course, last week the provincial government announced that it was launching a basic income program for youths who are receiving government support. Uh, apparently it's a provide an extra $600 per month to about 300 people between the ages of 16 and 21. Uh, it is meant to help with uh, their living conditions uh, and other needs that this group of people has. Cyril would know this stuff intimately. Cyril, what's your reaction to the program and its potential impact? Uh, good morning, Jim. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on your program this morning. Uh, good to have you. Thank you. Uh, we as an organization are very optimistic regarding this particular announcement uh, because, of course, the additional support, as you indicated, of $600 monthly, uh, in addition to the enhancement of wraparound services, will certainly uh, result in improved quality of life for the recipients. As we know, it's uh, quite difficult. We hear numerous people calling in various announcements, everything from housing, food security, education, health. It's it's quite a mix of what's going on. Uh, this particular group of individuals, of course, uh, they're looking to transition into ad- adulthood and overcome, mm-hmm. overcome the barriers such as securing housing and uh, getting access to education. So with this additional funds, it'll certainly put them in a, a stronger financial position than, than they are right now. And we certainly uh, commend and support the government for moving forward on this initiative. So if, if I'm reading the, the math right or doing the math right, so there's already about $1,200 a month that's going to these people. So they now will get 1800 with the extra six. Is that right or is that wrong? Uh, that's my understanding as well. There's okay. an additional $600 to uh, help offset the additional expenses and current I mean, that still doesn't seem like a lot of money. Um, I, I get that uh, getting 50% more of it uh, is is important, but, uh, I mean, just get, paint a picture, if you can, Cyril, of, of what that, how it is to live on so little. Well, I, I used to stop to think, uh, I think about uh, the basics of just your food. I will, we'll just go with that every time you go to the grocery store. The prices are gone up. Transportation has gone up. Yeah. Uh, the basic things of getting, uh, and we're looking at from a single perspective, but when you take in the fact of having a significant other, yeah. as well as trying to support dependents, it, it is very disheartening. Uh, I'm familiar with dealing with food banks, various groups, and so on, and the stories that come through from individuals who are so behind and so uh, I, I don't really want to use the word desperate, but they feel desperate is, is what the situation is. And uh, sometimes something is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ourselves here at the network, we operate a social enterprise where we hire marginalized individuals who face barriers entering or re-entering the workforce. They could be individuals who have mental health or addiction issues, issues with the justice system, fleeing yeah. domestic violence. And bringing those individuals in, while the money is great and you earn that extra bit to get you through, a big part of it, too, is providing a supportive and non-judgmental environment. Uh, we look on the surface sometimes and uh, make assumptions that a, a, a particular person is in a particular situation, a lot of times due to their simple own, uh, own doing. That's not always the case. Circumstances... Uh, 
luck of being born or into a certain situation certainly can uh, play a part in how an individual moves forward. And when you provide this extra support, mm-hmm. uh, this helps to empower individuals. It gives them a reason to start to move forward and try to get out of that rut of being uh, judged for who they are, for what yep. they are, and not who they are. So that's where our focus comes on, on items. Before I uh, we, we go for a break, I just if you give you a couple of minutes on this one because it's an important one. You heard probably the report of the, the meeting last night uh, about crime in the center of the city. And one of the issues that came to the fore is uh, people having a lack of housing, slum landlords and the like. Um, speak to us a little bit, if you can, briefly about the housing challenges and how you would like to see them being addressed. I mean, this is a step, but what needs to happen with housing and and, and the challenges that exist for people who are looking to access it. Okay, well, I would like to say up front, not uh, just uh, quite a bit of banter going back and forth between landlords and, and uh, uh, tenants. Uh, unfortunately, there are individuals uh, who do not provide the correct support that they should for individuals that they're renting property right. out to. That number is small in comparison. There are a number of landlords that work quite well. There are landlord engagement uh, individuals working with a number of landlords here in the city. Uh, We, in particular, work a lot in rural Newfoundland and Labrador. And uh, there are 10 housing support workers who deal directly on a day-to-day basis working with landlords to help place individuals. Unfortunately, due to the economic situation, the rents are going and continue to increase dramatically. A $200 a month increase for someone who has less than 30, 30, 20, $25,000 a year to live on is, outra- is outrageous. Uh, I guess a fix to that would be to increase a rent supplement in regards to providing an extra couple of hundred dollars a month to help offset that uh, increase. It certainly doesn't put you any further ahead in regards to uh, having extras. It's a combination of uh, community partners getting together and working and uh, you know, whether it's a local council, provincial government, or federal government, funding sources have to pull together in order to ensure that we move forward and assist those marginalized individuals in maintaining a stable, what we call a normal life in regards to being able to have a house or a property, having uh, the ability to go to uh, supermarket and buy your staples. Yeah, I, I remember being home in the summer and the story of uh, uh, people, you know, uh, living in tents in different parks and stuff. It's not as uh, endemic in Newfoundland as it is elsewhere. But my goodness, uh, I, I think a lot of us who are fortunate to have fortune don't have the deep appreciation you do of, of some of the real struggles that are uh, that are happening by people out there. And glad you were able to share some of that today, Cyril. Uh, glad that you see this as a step in the right direction. And you're always welcome on this program program to to chat further thank you okay great thanks for the opportunity have a great day all right thank you that was cyril tobin from the newfoundland and labrador homelessness network housing and homelessness network time for a break here on vocm's open line Uh, we'll be back with more of your calls after this got plans for midnight bring your vocm along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere the vocm all night show midnight on your vocm
Welcome back to Open Line. Let me say, anytime you can join Brian O'Connell for anything, it's fun. So take in the cabin party. I, I love that we still have that show on VOCM. It's awesome. And Paul Reynolds had it before Brian. Two fine gentlemen there. Okay, line three, we're going to go to Isabel Ojeda from the Munn Student Union, the executive director of campaigns. We're going to talk about the story I saw this morning on food banks. Isabel, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Well, great. I'm getting to talk to all the student activists this morning. This brings me back to my days at Memorial. And as uh, as delightful it is, as it is to talk to you guys, uh, you really have a lot on your agenda. More challenges, it seems, for students now than there have been in a long time. And, and in particular, Isabel, this, this one of the food bank, and what I'm speaking about for people who may not know, is I uh, saw a story this morning that the food bank that you have at Memorial is temporarily closed until next week so that you're able to restock and replenish because there's been such a demand for service. Can you tell us what's going on with all of that, Isabel? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially, the Munn Campus Food Bank, which is a service that is available for students, staff, and faculty to use um, as far, you know, as much as they need, has had an absolute explosion in the number of clients that they've had over the past couple of months. So they're seeing more than double what they would normally see um, that started right in September, and the numbers just kept growing and growing into October. And unfortunately, they did have to temporarily close to kind of regroup and figure out an action plan. So on, are you able to give us a sense of how much food is going out per week? I mean, the demand, is there any, a way to paint a picture number of clients that are using it so people can grasp the enormity of this problem? Absolutely. So I don't have the exact numbers in front okay. of me, but I have seen them in the past couple of days. And I can say that over the summer, it was roughly like 100-ish people a day, which was okay. up from what they would normally see in the summer. And then when we got to um, September, we were hitting 200. And in October, it, wow. yeah, exactly, 200 a day. We enter October, and it was encroaching on 300 and 400. And so the numbers did keep on crawling up there. And when, when did the food bank start at Memorial? Maybe there was one there before when I was there, and it wasn't yesterday that I was there, Isabel. I won't, I'm not quite in a walker either. The university was, was there. But when did the food bank begin operations at Memorial? You know, I don't know a whole lot about okay. the history of it, to be quite honest. I will okay. say that it is something that isn't particularly done through the student union or through the university. Okay. It's an external thing that we kind of collaborate on together to kind of provide that um, that service to those who need it within the university community. So as it relates, you're, you're in a campaign world, and I, I admire that, having done some of that work myself. Um, where does this campaign fit in terms of importance and, and getting food for your people? peers who uh, unfortunately aren't able to access it themselves uh, as readily as others are. I mean, it's incredibly related to all of the campaigns we're talking about. And like you mentioned, you had someone from CFSNL on the show this morning talking about our day of action. And I think it's really, really just showing how significant the struggle students are facing right now. We've had, you know, a cost of living crisis, a housing crisis in St. John's. And now with the more than doubling of tuition and increasing student debt, all of these things are compacting together. And folks really don't know how to get food on the table at the end of the day. 
So uh, let me be the grumpy old guy for a second. Uh, and uh, you, you'll know you, you, you live in this campaign space, so you've heard it before. So uh, you're, you're making uh, good arguments and telling an important story today about what's happening at Memorial. So did your uh, peer from, uh, from CNS. Uh, but a lot of people will listen and say, oh, this is just students. They're entitled. They, you know, they get so much given to them. You know, it's just the traditional student wine. Take that argument apart for me. Absolutely. So I think, I mean, first of all, the cuts to education that happened last year from the provincial government, that was $68 million. We recently saw a new um, provincial government campaign go forward that they're spending $194 million giving every single person in this province who makes under $100,000 $500. And while I understand that $500 is needed and necessary for so many folks in the immediate I mean, the role of government is to provide a sustainable and healthy and living government that can provide long term. And that is more than three times what they cut from education. So I think to put it into perspective, if that money had been invested back into our post-secondary education system and you could have seen the relief of tuition and debt, I mean, this doesn't just impact students. It impacts parents who are trying to pay their students' tuition. And, you know, there are parents who had been saving their entire, you know, their child's entire life. And then right at the last minute when they were a grade 11 student had that amount of tuition double for Memorial. So I think it goes far beyond just, you know, students are entitled. And I think the thing is, is like what you picture to be a student can look so many different ways. Yeah. We're talking about diversifying our workforce. And I mean, an international student who has to pay four and a half times the tuition of a domestic student, how do we expect them to survive and include, I mean, our population is declining. We need folks here. And it's, it's, it goes beyond the numbers. But I think for folks who are coming at it from that argument, the economic argument is what you know um, suits to them. And even from that end of it, I don't see it. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, uh, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Uh, just Gayapri, who was on from the Federation of Students and yourself, are both making an important point that I don't want to lose, and I want you to situate it for me. And you just you were, were starting to do that, and that is, look, we've got lots of challenges in Newfoundland and Labrador, including a uh, you know a declining workforce and an aging workforce. Um, where you've got a broad audience here listening to you this morning, so we've got a healthcare crisis. We've got within healthcare a long-term care crisis we've got an affordability crisis how do you get mind share in all of that because you're making a real valid argument that we've got to make sure young people have opportunity and are looked after and it starts with the way we treat them at the university so where does that fit among those other crises that i've talked about Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the healthcare crisis, and I think our future doctors and nurses, they're going through Memorial right now. They need to be able to get through those programs. And nurses who are doing co-op programs, you know, they are not paid for that work. We are expecting um, our future doctors and nurses to invest a lot of time, money, and energy that they may not have because of what this province has provided them from. You might have seen that the med school is no longer accepting applicants from international students. So I think that these issues really do go hand in hand and that an investment in education will lead to an improvement in our healthcare crisis. And I don't want to prioritize one over the other because I think, I mean, me and you both know that they are both incredibly important. And I mean, the healthcare crisis is impacting students severely as well. I think people are struggling all around and really all of this is a result of an austerity government slashing their social programs from education to healthcare. It's, it's, 
really unfortunate on all bases. And when students go all out next Wednesday, these are the things we are fighting for and investments in our future. All right. I'll leave it there, Isabel. Thank you for your time today. Good luck. Thank you so much. All right. Before we take a break, I want to address two tweets here. This one from Chris Scott or Salty in Twilly. Uh, so I'm guessing Chris is in Twillingate. He says, hey, Paul, a, maybe you should call VOCM Open Line today. Tim Powers or Power Sim is all over the place with this fishing trip. We're not allowed to ask questions uh, from protecting callers from getting sued, then acting like any discussions or we're just small talk. Uh, now, Chris, first of all, if you would like to call, I will take your call. Uh, secondly, uh, I was talking to Bruno, who was going all over the place and uh, said the questions are important. I offered a different perspective on Bruno's take. But, hey, by all means, if Paul, you, anybody else wants to call, please do. Uh, my point to Bruno was I think we just need to be careful about making assumptions. And I also made the point, Chris, which you chose not to speak to in your tweet, that uh, without a doubt, with Without a doubt, uh, the uh, the perception of the fishing trip is a major problem. Uh, so don't know if that's going all over the place or not. Um, but if you would like to call Chris, you're welcome to it. And Carnivore Kid saying I'm talking over people, trying not to do that. But if I am, I'll watch out for it. We'll come back with Ben when we're back from VOCM's open line break here in a moment. Welcome back to Open Line. Tim Powers in for Patty. We've got about an hour and 10 minutes to go. Love to talk to anybody about anything. And right now I'm going to talk to Ben, who's kindly been uh, been waiting. And thank you, Ben. Uh, you want to talk about long-term care. What's your take on that, Ben? Yes, well, good morning. Uh, uh, I'd love your show, by the way. Thank you. And I'm calling from the West Coast. Okay. Okay. Uh, on my way back from my coffee break, I, I, I heard an ad on the uh, radio saying that the Western Health Care had been closed for mm -hmm. the long-term care. Okay. And uh, just for clarification, uh, uh, I called and because Mom is in the Western Health Care system in the long-term care. And there's two, uh, just for clarification, there's two health care uh, facilities here in Cornerbrook that's under Western Health. Now, the older one, which is the one next to the university where my mother happens to be, it's open, and the other one is closed. So uh, I wouldn't want to put anyone down the, the, the garden path or anything, but just for clarification, okay. you might want to check that out. Yeah, we'll have our news team uh, look into that. That's obviously a very important issue. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, thank you very much, and we love your show. Okay, all right. Well, uh, good good to have you on, talking about long-term care. Uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me, clarification uh, there. I thought Ben was going in a different direction, but that's important information for us all to have. I do uh, want to, uh, while we are lining up a caller, want to read something, because it was uh, we started the show talking about... Um, hockey and Josh Norris and some experiences uh, I'd had recently and um, David wrote uh, yo Tim Powers don't follow hockey so forgive me do we know what the players have been involved do we know what players have been involved with payouts covering up sexual assaults that is do we know which current players I won't 
Dave uses a very descriptive word, our rapist. I can use that as Dave's words. Lots uh, to talk about the administration, but what about the players who committed the crimes? Well, first of all, again, Dave, not defending anything. Let's use alleged. Um, I appreciate that was a message you sent to me, but I'm reforming it as alleged crimes. Um, I think uh, there are two specific incidences you're referring to. One is in 2003 that happened in alleged happened in Halifax. There are allegations of very serious um, sexual assault happening there. There are allegations of a very serious sexual assault happening in London, Ontario, 2018. Both involved the Canadian junior team, uh, junior hockey team. My understanding, at least as it relates to London, there were eight players that are implicated one way or another that were allegedly part of what happened. They are known to Hockey Canada. They are known to police authorities. They are known to people in the uh, the legal proceedings that did take place because there was previously some back and forth between lawyers and a civil settlement was achieved there. Um, those names, you're correct, have not become public at the moment uh my understanding again is the way policing works is they wouldn't come become public until formal charges would be laid and that would be applicable to london uh as well uh there are some players who uh, were of who believe they were of that group of eight or know they were of that group of eight who've come forward and put out their own statements uh, to date saying they're participating in all investigations. So we don't have the public information on all of that yet, but that is where that stands. Um, and the wheels of justice uh, move slowly, as you know. So hopefully uh, we will hear more about that. I can tell you, as somebody who's coaching his son's hockey team right now, and just novice team, U9, um, boy, it's still front and center for the parents. And uh, particularly for a lot of, of, I'm seeing more mothers ask about it. I don't want to gender stereotype. I'm just telling you what's happened in our sphere. There have been more mothers talking about it um, and talking publicly about it. That doesn't mean fathers aren't thinking about it or interested in it. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just telling you what's been happening with our team and, and our association. Uh, I know there was a very poignant program that uh, Ian Hennemansing hosted on CBC's Cross Country Checkup. I believe it was about two or three weeks ago with one of the authors of a, a new book called Hockey Moms. I actually met the other author or know the other author, Terry Marcotte, had a chat with him last night and, and told him that. And the, this book looks at the experience mothers have had in hockey and interviews Connor McDavid's mom, uh, interviews Austin Matthews' mother and, and many other mothers. But I think one of the things they discovered in the researching of that book is uh, what has come to the fore publicly, the toxicity that can exist in a lot of different circumstances and dressing room circumstances, and that's, uh, that's a major concern. I can tell you, and I think this is absolutely the right thing to do, to coach even minor hockey now, and all the minor hockey parents out there who are listening will, will do this. You rightly, rightly, and it's a burden to a volunteer, but I guess it's an appropriate burden. You have to do Sheldon Kennedy's Respect in Sport Leadership course. You have have to properly do um, uh, an anti-harassment and anti 
bullying course uh, and one that focuses specifically on gender identification. I mean, that wouldn't have existed years ago. And for a number of reasons, they've come to the fore and they help. You're encouraged to have, as you should, team and parent meetings and interactions. All of that's important and will hopefully help the next generations of players be free of some of the toxicity that others have been subject to. Um, I would say the other thing that I found staggering, it's really hard, really, really hard. And we saw this before the wholesale changes in Hockey Canada to get anybody to go on the record and talk about, uh, particularly from from hockey organizations, to go on the record in any great detail about a lot of this stuff. It's been a very defensive effort. So, you know, your questions are good ones and they're uh, the right ones to ask. And if you want to call or you want anybody wants to talk about this further please do we uh, we will see the world junior championships that appears in halifax and moncton in december and uh, january it looks like those two cities are now because of the changes that have happened at hockey canada going to welcome people back or welcome hockey canada to have their event again i think that's a that's a good thing <clears throat> a good thing but um Others will uh, will have a different perspective on all of that. So, as I say, this subject not going away. Certainly, there's still parliamentary hearings. There's a uh, Rick Westhead from TSN today posting about for, for some of the forthcoming parliamentary hearings and uh, going to ask Hockey Canada a bunch of questions about the people they hired to help uh, tell their story and uh, protect them in these circumstances. And Hockey Canada is free to do all of that, but I don't. I don't think that will welcome uh, and encourage many. I see yesterday also Hockey Canada announced that it was freezing uh, or not charging registration fees uh, this year uh, in response to all that has happened and the frustration that its member organizations have expressed. So lots out there. Now, before we go to the break, I'll tell you the name of that book. It's called Hockey Moms, The Heart of the Game. It's by uh, Teresa Bailey and Terry Marcotte. And uh, Uh, It talks about, as I say, moms and some of the biggest NHL stars and what they have gone through. Uh, And I've, again, heard excerpts of it. I've heard uh, some of the speakers talk about it. Uh, I'm told it's well worth the the read, not just because I know the author, but because of the subject and the contents. And one last word on the fishing trip. Again, uh, free to call, free to ask questions. If Paul, Paul Lane and I always have good conversations. If Paul wants to call and talk about that, if Barry Petten wants to call and talk about that, by all means, nothing wrong with the questions, nothing wrong with the exposition. My broader point still remains. Let's just talk about what we know as opposed to what we didn't know. And yes, perceptually, Everything in politics is perception. The perception is not great. It is not good. And it deserves the scrutiny that it is getting. Now, uh, we've got a few lines open and uh, want you to call today. The other subject I want to talk about today, if you want to talk about it, is crime. You heard earlier we had uh, Kevin Massey on uh, that big meeting in St. John's last night. You heard Kevin speak very passionately about what he sees as some of the challenges there what the police have said to him in terms of a lack of resourcing, the ability to to police and be out there. Kevin's Bakery, four times in four months, burglarized. That's crack. That's, that, that needs work. Uh, we, uh, we, I don't think, take great comfort from the city and the government going back and forth, provincial government, on who's to blame. But you want to talk about that, by all means, do. But now, time for the news here on VOCM's Open Line. 
take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back. Going to go right to the phone. Uh, Line one, Kelly, who wants to talk about uh, a uh, subject that is dear and unfortunate to many, and that is wait times at at, uh, at some of our healthcare facilities. Kelly, tell us your story. Uh, I left Central Newfoundland on Thursday for an appointment at St. Clair's Hospital in St. John's for 7.30 Friday. For so this is last week? Last week, Kelly? Last, last Thursday, okay. and I okay. had pre-op all done, like four hours long. So I decided they were going to operate on me on Monday at 11. So I decided okay. to stay in St. John's, choice of my own, so I wouldn't have to drive all the way back and on Sunday and whatever, you know, run into weather. Mm-hmm. So that was fine. Got to the hospital at nine they registered me set me up to be admitted by 10 30 i was uh, called in and they give me pain medication and another medication so i said well my surgery is good right she said 11 o'clock i will get you i'm a diabetic okay okay with other health issues with cancer and that's what my surgery was for they never came and got me at 11 they never checked on me Blood pressure has been up since this has been ongoing. Never checked on me. Or like, just before quarter to one, nurse comes out, tells two waiting rooms of people. Surgeries didn't go ahead. We're waiting on beds, okay? I went and told her I wasn't feeling well. She said, I'm supposed to check on you. I guess she forgot. And do your blood pressure and sugar. So I went back to the waiting area. She said, they're having a meeting for beds. Now, were the beds going to drop out of the ceiling, or were we supposed to take our own? Right? <laughs> Sorry to laugh. You know, there. Exactly. You know what I mean? Were they, mm-hmm. Right? She was after medicating me. I don't take anything other than an ibuprofen. She gave me 500 milligrams. I don't know how many pills and another one. Told yeah. me my like I was going at 11. So anyway, I went out and waited and waited. Told my husband I wasn't feeling well, so that he knew. But I said, they're coming to check on me. Never had heard anything for like an hour more later. She calls me. So I scrabble. I said to my husband, oh, my God, I'm getting my surgery done now, right? I better run. So I said, I'm going. Went out. She said, it's canceled. I oh, said, my. What? She said, we have no bed for you. I said, you have no bid? So can I stay this week? Are you going to do me this week? Oh, no, she said. I said, well, what do I do now? She said, well, you can go home. I said, well, you're going to get me an appointment, right? They did all this. They did everything on me. Right? Two two mm-hmm. roomfuls of people waiting. They had everything done. Are you going to give us appointments? No, she said, you're to do it yourself. So I thought... She knew I wasn't feeling well. Right. She hands me this sticky piece of paper with a phone number. So then I felt I was in tears, okay? I had mm-hmm. cancer. They're unsure of I got one kind they know I have. Supposed to be done to analyze it. Still there, Kelly? Oh, I think we lost Kelly there, Dave. Uh, we will bring her back if we can. That That is... Horrific being in that circumstance. I guess the question I would have is how didn't like how didn't they know before they medicated her that this was a possibility or even how didn't they know before they asked her to come in? I know sometimes they wait and they they may be patients that are in bed, aren't able to be discharged. But boy, what an ordeal. We will try and get Kelly back right after the break. Welcome back. We've got Kelly. Kelly, much like your surgery, the line just dropped and you had to wait again. I'm sorry 
about that. So as as we were speaking, uh, when we lost you last, you um, you had been told that you weren't going to get operated on that day. You were waiting to get some clarification uh, from them. They told you to book your own appointment. So that's where we were. Pick up the story from there if you can, please. Okay, great. So keep going. What happened there after okay. that? So I went back to my room. It was going on 3 o'clock by this time. Okay. I, called the, I called the number to the OR booking to find out though our booking wasn't even working. They never had anybody replacing her. You talked to a machine. So what was I to do then? I was in St. John's. Nothing, nothing done. Was I supposed to put rooms in the hospital beds or something and stay over there and hope I get something done? So I said, well, I might as well start packing the car. By packing the car. By this time, I was quite tired. So I decided I'd stay that night again. And I got up uh, Tuesday morning and decided to drive back home. Okay. On the way outside of St. John's, they called me. Can you come back in next week, Kelly? Well. Um. You come back in Wednesday, call us 1 to 2 o'clock, get your surgery time. I said, do you have a bed? She said, Kelly, we cannot guarantee you a bed. Now, uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do people do? I know of at least four cancer patients that were waiting there with me. Other people were waiting. I can fully understand our hospitals are in a total mess. I've seen it firsthand. Yes, they have no beds. But why book two waiting areas of people? One poor gentleman for the second time was canceled for half his lung. I consider myself not even sick compared to him. Like, why book us? Like, phone me, say, Kelly, yes, you have cancer. I'm sorry. We'll call you when we get beds. Why book two rooms of people? And how many days does this happen and nothing ever gets done? Don't book us. Like, why book us? I don't get it. And 1030, tell a lady her surgeries is going 11 11 o'clock, and you got to trust this system to operate on you for cancer and other things, and one doesn't know what the other one is doing 1030 for a bed at 11? You know, Kelly, as I hear you talk, it reminds me of it's almost like those old last minute airline deals. Right. If you get in here at three o'clock, you can fly to Cuba for a hundred bucks. Well, that's except you're not flying to Cuba. You're looking after your health and wellness. And again, we all know the system is broken uh, and we all have some patience for that. But my goodness, you have to think there'd be a better way. I, I, I think I can guess part of what happened. And I don't know if they told you this, but. I guess they're looking at beds and who's likely to be discharged that day. And if that person, for whatever reason, because their own health doesn't allow it, is not discharged that day, well, the trickle-down effect is on you and all these other patients. I don't know if there's a better management system or not, but listen to what I'm just struck by. The mental health toll that took on you and all the others that were there, the physical health challenges you had to go, taking medication and other things that you didn't take, your blood pressure, the worries, the driving back and forth, never mind all of you know that in and of itself. So what happened in the end? Did you take the next appointment? I took the next appointment, but I'm right now in the parking lot of my doctor's office because I book an appointment. I'm fortunate enough to have a doctor, and I'm going to have a chat with her and get some testing done and and see if my cancer is growing and see if she can get me some testing. And I'm not taking it. I'm mentally, I I got an appointment just in case I decide to go, but Mm -hmm. mentally and physically, I can tell you, I'm so shaken up now that I don't know if I can trust them to operate on me. If they, I, I wouldn't do, but there was people under anesthetic out there. 
because I didn't see too many go for surgeries, and that's not good enough. Like, I'm a 300-pound lady with health issues, with a mm-hmm. little husband. If they put me under anesthetic next week and go that far and wait for a bed, what's he going to do with me? Like, yeah. I'm not, I shouldn't have to worry if the hospital got a bed for me and if they're capable of taking care of me. I got a really good doctor. I, everyone raves about him. I know I get an excellent surgery, but my aftercare right now is it's now my concern. concern. I don't yeah. think they can take care of me. Like, I have other health issues, and I'm not mm-hmm. capable that they can take care of me. And they told me I have to get out at 11 o'clock in the morning. If I, I could have complications. So let me ask you this, and, and then I, I've got to take another call after this, and uh, I'm sure you've got to go in to see your doctor and hopefully get some clarity. So what, what, so for the people, so health officials are always listening to this program, the Department of Health listens to this program, the health authorities listen to this program. What would you advise them to do in a circumstance like yours in the future? How would you have liked that to have been handled if you didn't have a bed available and uh, you had to deal with this all again? I think a couple of days before someone's surgery, it should be sat down. They had a meeting while we were there for beds. They didn't have the meeting at 11. They told me they were went to go into a meeting going on 1 o'clock. Uh, there were surgeries there long before mine at 11. Get this meeting done a couple of days before, even though we got everything planned. Let us stay home. Don't go out there and face that. Like, check out the bed situation. I mean, there's no way that they didn't know on Friday when they did my pre-op. Because I tell you, I asked the nurse towards the end. She told me there was no guarantee. Why not on Friday didn't they check out the situation? They were no way, any way, going to discharge that many people that was there waiting for surgery, okay? There was four cancers that I know of. There was one lady, it was a hip replacement and a knee replacement. That's Mm -hmm. only the ones that I knew of was there going to be six discharges there wasn't going to be what what we're not like we're not an airline so like I mean we're not going on a flight yeah right yeah and you need to be treated like human beings Uh, I think right now exactly right now there should be no more of this bullshit next week they should be calling me Monday and telling me if I got a bed you you swore you you swore you're totally justified in swearing but let's try not to do that anymore on the air and you use a tame word given what you went through no no Kelly hey you went through help anyway I will leave it there keep us updated let us know how it goes Um, and I hope it does go more smoothly and you get uh, the care that you need in a more timely manner thank you okay thank you bye-bye take take care wow that's a a, 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 kelly's story is a pretty amazing story but i suspect there are more people who've gone through those circumstances as well um again everybody knows the system is broken but there have to be some simpler fixes that can manage beds and manage moving people out of beds and people into beds uh i don't have that knowledge base but if somebody doesn't wants to call give us a call now we've got a couple of other callers who've been waiting let me go to them the placentia mayor keith pearson mayor pearson are you there Mayor Pearson? Dave, do we have Mayor Pearson? Good morning, team. Okay. Uh, good morning, sir. Sorry about that. We're having some little technological challenges this morning. But you're on now. Tell us what you're, what's on your mind today. I uh, just wanted to call in to give the residents of Byzantia a quick update. Uh, last night, we had public consultations on the Argentia Renewables Project which okay. Pattern Energy is currently doing, looking at, to putting some windmills and hydrogen uh, facility in the Byzantium area. Uh, the meetings went quite well. We had about seven, 70 to 80 people 
there uh, who you know voiced their concerns. But it was a very positive meeting, and I must say it went really well. So we're looking forward to seeing this uh, project uh, uh, through, and hopefully that'll work out for the people of Zancha. So what what is the what are some of the environmental concerns that you're hearing in the Placentia region about the project? Uh, you have certainly heard them uh, for pro- the project and potential project in Stephenville. What are the concerns in your region? Uh, the concerns that we're hearing that uh, come up at the meeting is certainly Placentia Bay and migratory birds and stuff that uh, come through uh, Placentia Bay to make sure that the impact on that population is not negatively effective. Uh, they've uh, committed to uh, doing the studies and doing the hard work to make sure that they mitigate against any uh, issues that would become of that. Uh, you know, there's other issues that come out of it. You know, you're looking at when you're bringing in a large project of uh, $4 billion in capital investment. With that comes, uh, you know, prosperity, but also comes challenges for people, vulnerable people in our community that, you know, with housing rising and stuff like that. So there's there's still concerns there that we need to work through, that we've got to make sure that when we're doing a uh, community plan and we're doing a benefits agreement, that the people of Byzantia, you know, are not left behind because of it, whether it be jobs, whether it be housing, or other factors that come in, we've got to make sure we're looking after them. And where, uh, pardon my ignorance on this, where's the market for, for the hydrogen there? Is it also in Germany, also in Europe? Who Who are the proponents targeting? Correct. So this would be the uh, uh, the port actually was at the meeting when the chancellor did visit Stephenville. Okay. And and the actual uh, target for the market target is Europe, of course, with uh, Europe is crying out for hydrogen right now. As you know, right now, Russia is the largest leading hydrogen producer in the world. And with with what's going on over there, that is not good for the global economy uh, with regards to, you know, higher energy prices. So uh, Newfoundland uh, is poised to do not one of these projects, they're poised to do many projects to lead the global energy market and the crisis that's going on to stabilize you know, the world and you know the cost of inflation and everything that's happening because of that to stabilize the world. So you know, Newfoundland is going to play a large factor on the global economy. Okay. Anything else you'd like to add, uh, Mayor? No, the only other thing is that people of the, the residents of Byzantia, if there is concerns that you have, uh, you know, certainly reach out to your council members, myself, and anybody else or Pattern Energy that are doing this project. Let them be known so we can actually deal with these things up front and make sure it continues on in a positive manner that, you know, we left that meeting with last night and the residents were quite pleased and what they had heard. Okay, perfect. Glad to have you on. Thank you for waiting, Mayor. Appreciate the time. Good luck down in Placentia. Thank you. Have a great day, Tim. All right, that was uh, Mayor Keith Pearson from Placentia. Now, I hope she's still there. Minnie, are you on line three? I thought I might call you today because uh, uh, there's one thing that incensed me in the last week. I was talking to Patty about it last week, and uh, I told Patty there's very few things that gets me up at nine in the morning. Let me tell you. <laughs> tell me. Well, I want to hear this. What got you up at nine in the morning, Minnie? The ode to Newfoundland, if you can believe it. <laughs> that what the university did with the ode to Newfoundland and not playing it. And I was absolutely, uh, Patty, I, I don't know, maybe I'd, uh, I need someone to figure out why, but I was absolutely 
distraught about that. <laughs> what? What? I, everybody who's called today on this had the same reaction. What, what is it? An emotional one for you too? I, I, for others, it has been. Is it? Is that what got you going? Is it? How do? Where? Where does? What does the old? What does the old mean to you, Minnie? Patty, when when we Tim, grew Tim, up, Patty's not working today. I'm Tim. That's Patty, okay. Tim. When we grew up in the 50s, uh, that mm-hmm. was sung all the time, right? The yeah. Ode to Newfoundland. It became an emotional thing for me because uh, whenever we go down to a curling game, a hockey game, I don't know if they still play it, but I know when uh, Danny Williams was owned it, they, we played it all the time, right? And when we start to sing that, oh, my God, it was just like uh, I couldn't get enough of that that song, right, or that ode. And uh, to see that somebody, uh, five or six people at the university would take that away. And the other thing was the way that this girl, I think it was Lisa Brown, I believe her name was, uh, when people asked about it, it almost sounded, Patty, like the first thing she said, well, we're changing around here. And he said, uh, the one of the reporters said, but is, can you tell me what else you're going to change? And she said, uh, she said, well, just, just wait we, and see what's going to happen. And I, I, I thought to myself, and then she also mentioned, Tim, about faith. F-A-I-T-H, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a big church goer, uh, sadly, but uh, I think it had to do with God uh, guard thee, God guard thee, God guard thee, Newfoundland, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, which was it? Was it the fact that God's name was in it, or was it the fact that Labrador was left out? I couldn't figure out what she was trying to say, but Patty, you know, we're we're getting to the point in Newfoundland where we can wake up in the morning instead of having some discussion on anything. We wake up and it's already a done deal. Everything is, and that irritates me to no end. There's no such thing. They say they're consulting, and most times as a committee. But at the end of the day, the the, the public have very little input. Even now, we don't. I haven't heard one MHA even ask about it. What about the old? Now, I know that the university, uh, Tim, is is independent, but mm-hmm. maybe they ought to take their independence back, because if that's the kind of thing they're going to be doing. They may as well take that back. I'm very annoyed. I got. Oh, I, I can. I, 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 you know what? What struck me too is what you were saying about it is the sort of lack of broad consultation and what's next. But I was thinking as you were saying this. So we've all just gone through the death of Her Majesty the Queen, and yeah. if you watch the funeral, as many many people did, I think every hymn, including the royal anthem, "God Save the Queen," references God, and there are things there that are dated in the language, and I'm all for change. Changing language, if we can, you know, as we should. But imagine if we decided to neuter out all the religious references in Her Majesty's funeral. There wouldn't oh, have been any music. Absolutely, Patty. And one of the reasons that I was a good churchgoer, I took the, our kids. We had three kids. I took them off to Sunday school um, mm-hmm. when they were growing up till they got confirmed, right? But you know what drove me from the church? 
What? Every beautiful hymn that we had, all the hymns we loved, uh, were taken out of the hymn book. I don't recognize any hymns in the hymn book. So if you were getting buried, say, or you were getting married, when you go down to our church, which is Damien Church, mm-hmm. they'll give you a sheet of paper with the hymns on because they're no longer in a hymn book. And they were one of the things, Patty, that brought me into the church was yep. the beautiful the music. Hymns. Yeah, and I heard somebody say one time, and I miss Rick Murphy, by the way, who used to come <laughs> out to CBC because Rick was in since one time because they wanted to take armored Christian soldiers. Soldiers out. marching off to war with yeah, the cross of Jesus, marching on military, before you. Mil- too militaristic. It's almost like our history uh, is being changed, and and we're just sitting back and watching it. And I'm wondering, Patty, what it's going to take for our people to finally stand up and say, enough, we want consultation on everything. Uh, well, and also balance, right? Like, there are things yeah. we did screw up, the way indigenous peoples were oh, treated. absolutely. I, and, Patty, yeah. if I got any sympathy, let me tell you, I do have sympathy for the indigenous people. But I don't think that came from the indigenous people, that what they did no, with no. the Ode to Newfoundland. They are very, very nice people, and they understand that they're old to Labrador, they would not want the, to see that taken out. No. And boy, All right, Minnie. Oh, sorry, you go ahead. I'll give you no, 30 no. seconds, I but just, I got to... Yeah, I know. And I just wanted to say, uh, Tim, that uh, uh, I, I don't blame that on our Aboriginal people or even Labrador because... No. My sister lived in Labrador for 40 years, and I never once heard her say anything about uh, she wanted that gone. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, I've lived in Labrador. My dad worked in Labrador. We have long history in Labrador. I've never heard a Labradorian who isn't. And Labradorians aren't afraid to tell you how proud they are of Labrador, uh, and nor should they be uh, say anything about that. Anyway, got to leave it there, Minnie. Yeah. Thank you. Tim, I hope it's not a slippery slope. That's all I'm saying, that if a statement is there and if they won't put it back, at least let's try to prevent it from being taken out of other places. All right. Well said. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. That was Minnie. Bye. Uh, Minnie, very passionate, uh, as many are, about what's uh, happening with the Ode to Newfoundland and the university. Time for a break here and our 1130 news. I'll be at 1134 uh, and then back with more of your calls after that. We've got about 20 minutes to go. want to get this call on for sure. want to talk to uh, Jody Williams, who is with us now, the uh, executive director at Bridges to Hope. Uh, Jody, how are you? Good, my friend. How are you? Good. Uh, it seems we're talking more lately, which is good for me because you're a great guest. Uh, not necessarily good for you because it means stuff's going on in your sector. So uh, donations, um, the, the other side of donations that uh, you often are appealing for them as you should. But in this economy, as you need to serve more people and provide them with more things, it's harder to get money because the same people you're asking are struggling as well to give the way they once did how is that playing out for you uh oh, well it's um you know it's a perfect storm they say i guess um you know uh, we're at the point now i think where people that donated to the food bank are using the food bank yeah now i'm not saying that's a high percentage but it's definitely true uh you know like some people would donate 20 bucks here and there say you know um 
but uh, I'm finding now like our donations are down dramatically for sure. Um, and even our food donations, I mean, when COVID came, obviously food donations completely stopped as everyone started working from home and all the businesses shut down. Um, but the last year or so, as things kind of picked up, I was really surprised that the food donations didn't kind of uh, come back. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm, I know there's still some maybe uh, fear of instability of kind of people kind of maybe bringing some things into work or that's kind of not that probably not the culture anymore. Uh, but recently, uh, just to go, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Every year we have some groups that do like, you know, annual food drives, especially around Thanksgiving, uh, like uh, the go-getters. We do one with them at Coleman's. Um, so that was one. And I was there that day. And, uh, you know, usually on a Saturday, a few hours there, a Newfoundland drive Coleman's. I mean, we can easily leave there with a van or two full of food. This year, I mean, you know, we probably only got about 40% of normal. Uh, then First United Church, they do an annual one out in their parking lot, drive through every year. They said the same thing. Couldn't believe this year how much the donations were down. And then we recently had one last weekend done by the Rotary. Uh, exact same thing. You know, there's a, what a difference this year. They couldn't believe it. Um, and they actually had kids going around knocking on people's doors, and that's kind of their model um, down around the Holy Heart. Uh, it was in conjunction yeah. with them. And, uh, you know, people just don't have it to give, I think. You know, I think before, you know, what people call, you know, the poor, (laughs) uh, hand quotes, they say, Um, you know, they were kind of probably, what's the word, I guess, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think right now that the middle class are really being affected. You know, it's like we're at the point now with the cost of living and stuff that the middle class are really you know, maybe making it the payday, maybe not. Uh, And I do think, and then also, I mean, even the people that are above middle class who we would say have what they call luxury money or a bit of money around, I do believe that there's such fear and instability due to our current economic climate and what we've experienced over the last couple of years that generally there's a lot of fear there about just kind of, uh, you know, giving away any bit of money. <laughs> That's the kind of state we're in. It's uh, it's funny, Jody. So, uh, like a lot of people, give little bits to different charities, and there's one mm-hmm. I was giving to. I won't name the charity, but I've really noticed anxiety from their perspective because over the last five days, they use one of these dialing services to get you to commit and give your credit card number every day. And finally, I wow. said, when they called yesterday, I said, look, I appreciate you have a job to do. I appreciate it's tough out there, but mm-hmm. you constantly harassing, as I felt harassed, yeah. uh, is not going to help. So you have this balance to strike too because you can only ask so many times so what's in the short term is the answer more government government assistance for the service provision you do how do you get through this period I really don't know. I mean, uh, you know, it's like a as the executive director, I mean, I'm losing sleep at night at this point. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I will tell you that when CERB was on the go, and I'll say a million times, we went from seeing 50 people a day to maybe two. So there's a, there's a, there is a, uh, that's a sign, of course, that, you know, some kind of basic income, certainly, uh, because we're a band aid, right? You know, we're coming in after the fact. 
I don't want this job. I want to get laid off someday. I don't want it. You know? <laughs> yeah, true. I'm serious. I don't want this job. I mean, not that I don't love my job. I just mean like it's not. It, I'd love for them to say we don't need you anymore. Two banks closing down, uh, you know, due to a lack of clients. Uh, certainly, but we're uh, years. We started 32 years ago as a band aid to a depression in 1989, and here we are in 2022. Yeah. Uh, worse off than we were back then, you know. So, uh, you know, that's. I mean, yeah. I mean, government support. I mean, here we are now with students starving to death. You know. Yeah. They got no food, and it's not just happening here locally. I'm seeing this happen across Canada where students are, you know, having rallies and stuff and going to bed hungry. Um, you know, I, philosophically, I would say the solution to this, I know it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, and I was on a meeting with uh, Mr. Abbott and some of his yep. uh, people recently, and I just said to them, you know, until we make food a basic human right, until we consider that to be something, then we can start, that'll start changing laws. It'll stop, uh, you know, they're like, what can we do? I'll tell you what you can do. You can make it illegal for uh, grocery stores to throw out food in the garbage like they do in France. Yeah. Yeah. You know, why are we throwing out 10,000 pounds of food here every day? You know, because they're scared to death to give it to us because they're afraid they're going to be liable. So you want to just make a law that, you know, the minute we take the food away, we're liable. Take that away from them. So they'll give us the, they'll give us protein. They'll give us fruits and vegetables. We do get some donations, but it's the safe food. It's always going to be the sugary stuff, the carbs. Yeah, that's bread. the other end of the double edge of the sword, right? You're going to get the stuff that's not as healthy for people, which they will take, that you're adding to the health crisis. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. a tough one. Really, I know they're throwing out the meats going in the garbage, and the fruits and vegetables are going in the garbage. And, like, you know, and I'm not blaming it on certainly these grocery stores uh, because, again, I mean, their um, their goal is to make profit. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, but if the government comes in, like in France, for instance, if you uh, you own a grocery store, you throw out food, you can get you can go to jail, <laughs> or you can get fined thousands of dollars. Um, so the the idea then becomes. You know, and that's a that's a philosophical move, right? Yeah. On part of the government, it's like we're gonna we're gonna make this a thing, uh, so that we can because there's a, the food is out there. You know, there's a lot of food out there. We just haven't learned to, uh, like, you know, you learn in kindergarten, sharing, carrying is sharing. Carrying is sharing. Am I uh, carrying exactly? Is sharing. And uh, as adults, uh, of course. We have a lot more fear than than children, and we're uh, we like to uh, keep keep ourselves feeling safe. Uh, you know, I don't blame people. Yeah, uh, but certainly. Well, you know, I could I could talk to you all day, Jody. I gotta let you go just because we've got two more callers who also want yeah, sure, to add something to this subject. But somebody thank you. want to uh, make a contribution, then go to our website, bridgestohope.ca, and uh, there's lots of information there. You can even donate recyclables, for instance, and all that information is on our website. All right. Good luck. Uh, it's tough out there for you. I hope we don't have to talk again, but I, just like you, I would love to see you uh, retired, we'll but I'm sure again. we will. <laughs> All right. Take, enjoy the rest of your day. Take care, Jody. That's Jody Williams, the executive director of Bridges to Hope. All right. Time for our last break here. We've got two calls coming back, including Mayor Button from, uh, from Porta Basque. I guess I can't say Leafs suck anymore. And Sean, who wants to respond to Jody right after this call, uh, after this break. All right. Welcome back. We've got two callers right to the line. Line two, Sean, you want to respond to the comments Jody just made. Welcome. Go ahead. I do, Chamberlain. First of all, it was great to see you at your cousin's funeral, at Jonathan's funeral. And thank nice you to for catch coming. up there. 
and uh, my my deepest condolences. He was uh, he was. I I don't think he'd be too happy with this uh, anthem and the old thing. I guarantee. <laughs> no, he would not be, Sean. Um, but look, uh, deal with Jody. Uh, my background's in journalism, as you know, public relations, mm-hmm. marketing, with with big national firms and so on, and also with charities. Uh, I was on the board of the Newfoundland Labrador Lung Association, providing them guidance or help with uh, public relations, journalism, and so on. And it all relates. To fundraising, because if you do a really good job at PR, then then you don't need yep. people knocking on doors. You really don't. So my thought for Jody this morning is, I was into a national. I'm out in Central Newfoundland today, and I went into a big national retailer yesterday. And every time I go to buy something there, you know, I'm using their 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 quick through uh, self serve checkout, mm-hmm. and I see the two dollar thing, two dollar thing, and yeah, I'm yeah. on there to donate. It's never for Newfoundland. So I'm going to suggest to Jody that $2, like people just say, $2, I mean, that's not going to help anyone. So it's going to be $5, and you should get those national chains to support the people who are in those stores buying their goods. You know, yeah, it's a great it's idea. Local. So I think if they said, you know, Bridges to Hope uh, food, uh, food charity or uh, food bank, uh, you know, like your local food bank, if it says that comes up on the screen, I think most people they said that on five dollars you wouldn't hesitate. So it's all about that, and I think we should pu- push our national chains, especially one in particular who came up with this uh, this, this no name uh, uh, great PR by the way, great yep. PR for for them to uh, get their no name products uh, uh, like locked in for three months. But don't forget now they've gone up a lot over the last three years. So, you know, it's like like locking locking it in is probably too much too. But I well, think we're probably getting too advanced that. for uh, for for our audience, and that's not to insult the audience, but because I, I, it, it's frustrating to me. The other way you can do this too is now with the QR codes, which is a version of that. You just um, you yeah. take a shot on your phone of it, you hit the QR code, and you can d- donate two dollars directly. Love the idea. Got to give you one more okay. minute, Sean, because I got to get the mayor from Port on. Okay, I don't want to delay that because that's really, really important as well. Between people, uh, so many people using food banks and what's happened to us in the past uh, month uh, on the West Coast, especially beloved Port of Basque. I mean, you know, it's just a fabulous area and, and they've been hurt so bad. So the last thing I want to say is this. A lot of that's happening because of climate change. And you know that I've been working on that for about 10 years. If we don't turn off our engines, I'm on the side of the highway right now. I pulled in, turned off my vehicle. We don't turn off our vehicles. I'm not using a electric my electric car. I'm using a gas one uh, today. My electric one is in the service shop. But uh, if people just turn off their engines instead of idling, it's 21 degrees today. There is no reason to idle your engine. Put on an extra no. pair of mitts or socks and a, and, and a jacket <laughs> in the wintertime. Don't idle your engines because we're all contributing to climate change, which is why we all realize it now that that's why these big storms are happening. All right. Good, good message. Got to leave it there. Good to talk to you, Sean. Thank you. All right. Last call of the day, an important last call. The mayor of uh, Port of Basque, uh, Mayor Brian Button. Brian, how are you? Good morning, Tim. How are you? Well, boy, you're making me never say that chant again. I guess I can't just say Leafs suck. eh? You know what we think of the Leafs here in Ottawa, but, man, that was great what they did for you guys. That was fantastic. And I know you're a big Leaf fan, so you must be just thrilled beyond beyond possible, are you? Yeah, indeed. I mean, uh, you know, with uh, so much going on and, uh, you know, it's been a, a very stressful time here and, just trying to find something good out of everything that's been going on. Uh, when that had arrived, it, it certainly, you know, lifted the spirits 
of the day and it's lifted the spirits of some that's been involved and been able to come in and and stuff like that so you know uh the, it's always a good news story that you're looking for and this truly was one uh and i was uh, you know being a leaf fan it made it even better for myself but uh <laughs> I, I think whether I was or I wasn't, if this had been from another team, your senators or whatever, I would have uh, still looked at it the same of what a what a great gesture it was and taking the time out. So, Yeah, it almost says, Brian, to hell if they don't win the Stanley Cup for another 50 years. No, I won't do that to a Leaf fan today. I, on a more serious note, you've got a couple of quick updates for us. We've got about two minutes left, so I'll, I'll tell yeah. you that. Yeah, I'll just, uh, you know, uh, it's it's great to talk about those good things, but, you know, uh, things are still, you know, we're, we're trying to move along here. As you know, in the last uh, week, uh, there's been uh, several homeowners now that have uh, gotten the fate of their home. They're working diligently now to get the applications filled out. Uh, my message to people today is, like, if you are, if you have received those letters and you're doing the uh, the applications to send into government related to it, uh, we have people at the College of the North Atlantic that are there to help you to get these applications done, to make sure they're done properly, nothing is missed. You know, there's nothing worse than sending it in only to have it sent back to you because there's something missing up to DFAA. So if uh you know if you've got it done and you want to get it checked over you need to make an appointment you call 695-9871 uh they'll get you in uh make sure double check it all or help you fill it out whatever it takes to make sure that we get it in because then the appraisal work has to happen for those people and so on and so forth and as we continue with that we're also continuing on we still have a lot of uh, properties that we're dealing with uh, so we'll continue on the work with that and some of our major work now is as you know not only has the properties been destroyed a lot of our infrastructure with sewer outfalls and you know we have a group here now that's working diligently to try to get solutions before we run into the winter season all right. Well, uh, keep keep us updated. Uh, you know, we're all with you. Um, you've shown great leadership. Your community's shown great spirit. Hopefully Sunday night is a big hit, which I'm sure it will be. And uh, I'll even do this for you, Brian. Go Leafs, go. Uh, yeah. Thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. All right, Tim. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. That's our show for today. Great to end with uh, with Mayor Button and that wonderful story. Uh, Patty, I hope we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks to my friend Dave Williams, who's excellent in his job keeping this show going. And thank you to all of you for listening. Until next time, I'm Tim Powers, and this is VOCM's Open Line.